What do you do when your heart is heavy? I think we all experience that time to time. What do you do when your heart is heavy? What keeps you going when everything feels like just too much and you, you just want to give up? What do you do? Do you pour yourself a stiff drink or maybe 10 all to numb your heart? Do you seek out a noisy crowd to drown out your own thoughts? Do you hide from people because you're just too exhausted even to flash a fake smile and say you're fine? What do you do when your heart is heavy and when you feel like giving up? Well, this morning here, here is God's grace for weary, broken, and shattered people. And the first thing we see is the consolation. The consolation. One of my favorite verses in the, in the Psalms is Psalm 94, 19. It says, When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And what that reminds me is that God has a very tender heart for suffering people. And so we should not be surprised that the very first sermon that Jesus ever preached was in Matthew chapter 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, that tells you really everything about Jesus that you need to know, doesn't it? The very first sermon that he preaches. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is how Paul praises God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. I think sometimes we miss that. And that is why it grieves God when we think of him as harsh or distant. Because God's heart is full of pity for burdened people. And in this chapter, Isaiah chapter 65, this is where you see God consoling a hurting people. And of course, the people of Israel, we have seen throughout the book of Isaiah, they were hurt, they were broken and shattered by the circumstances of war, poverty, displacement, death. They were also grieved and hurt because of their own realization that has set in at last. They had no one to blame but their own foolishness and their sins. They were hurting people who were very likely saying, there is no more future for us. And that is why, if you remember, when we looked at the first 16 verses of this chapter, we saw how God, God loves people, but 
God doesn't love people who have proven themselves worthy. Rather, God loves the very people who have failed spiritually. God embraces the lawbreakers for not because they have anything good to offer to God, but for simply believing in his promises, for simply leaning on him. God embraces the lawbreakers and he pledges to bless them and he calls them his servants, although they have never really offered them one useful bit of service, if you think about it. But he embraces them and he calls them his servants and he pledges to bless them over those who remain unmoved by God's patience, his grace, and his constant holding out of his hand. Remember chapter 65, we read in the very first verse how God was calling out to the rebellious, here I am, here I am, come to me. And for those that heard God's call and came to him, God calls them my servants, and he pledges his blessing. And for those who who ignore and scorn that grace. This is what he says in chapter 65, verse 13. Behold, my servants shall eat, but you, these are the people who, who continue to scorn God's grace, but you shall be hungry. My servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. My servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out of pain, pain of heart, and shall wail for breaking of spirit. And at last, we hear something that leaves us absolutely speechless. He says, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. Now, what does God mean when he says the former troubles are forgotten? The former troubles that are forgotten are Israel's spiritual history. It's their record of rebellion, obstinance, idolatry, disobedience. And God says, your former troubles are forgotten and they are hidden from my eyes. You know, that's what leaves Isaiah's hearers, and that's what should leave you and me speechless. When God comes to a sinful people whose long history of disobedience and rebellion are well known, and the God, God who knows everything, God who forgets nothing, he says, I have forgotten. They are gone. Your record of your sin all forgotten, all hidden from my eyes. And then starting with verse 17, God tells us how, how that blessing comes to his people. Notice verse 17 starts out by saying, for behold, that's how it is going to happen. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And the amazing thing is that forgetfulness grips both God and his people. God, he forgets the entire history of spiritual failure. 
And God's people learn to forget too because God's people, they forget all the pain and the trouble of life as the joy of new creation completely drives out every trace of life's bitter experience and suffering. So that's the consolation where he comes to a sinful, broken, shattered people who are suffering, who could see no hope or future before them. He says, all your failures, all your history, they are forgotten, they're hidden from me. And what's more, you will also forget. You will also forget your bitter, hard, sorrowful experience of life. And that brings us to how God accomplishes that, and that brings us to the new creation. You know, there are some people who think that it's a good thing to say that, that God, God does not determine how the world is going to turn out, that God really has no saying in what happens in people's lives because the thing that has the power to determine the future is the free choice that people make. And they say that as if that's a good thing. Because, you know, what they're saying is that God is merely reacting to human decisions and choices. And when they say that, they are saying that God is improvising his way through our lives. Because, you see, he has no plan. He's just doing his best to keep up with people. Does that sound like good news to you? And we need to see that God, God does not react to what people do, and he does not improvise his way through our lives. Rather, God patiently works out his eternal plan, and that eternal plan is to exalt his Son. You see, for everything that Jesus has done, Jesus deserves better. He he deserves better than a kingdom and a people marred by sin. And that is why the Lord says, Be glad and rejoice forever in which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Because God, because he loves his son, and because Jesus, for all that he has done, he deserves better than a kingdom and a people that are marred by sin. God is creating all things new so that he may give to his son a perfect kingdom and a bride who does not carry on her the scars, the reminders, the damages of sin, but made perfect, renewed. And that is why in the new creation, there will be no more sorrow, but only joy. And God says, I, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Do you remember how in Genesis chapter 1, God created the world, and he said, looking upon the world that he created, he said, good, good, good. But creation was soon cursed 
through man's sin. But we see here that the new heavens and new earth, the kingdom that God will give to his son and the bride that God will give to his son will be perfect. And once again, God will say, very good. And in that place, in that new creation and new heavens and new earth, really the only thing greater than our joy in heaven will be God's joy over us. Just think about that for a minute. Do you ever think if God just merely puts up with you because of what Jesus has done? Maybe you wonder, sure, God says he loves me, but does he like me? <laughs> and this says, God rejoices over you. And surely that is why in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, we read, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that is exactly what God is doing in chapter 65. God is giving them a glimpse of the future glory as the consolation for their heavy hearts. What do you do when your heart is heavy? What do you do when you feel like giving up? Some people turn to drinks. Some people work to drown out their fear and the sorrow. Some people hide. But God says, I know you are burdened. I know you are weary. Hear my consolation. Let me cheer you with this. And that is why in this chapter, Isaiah puts the ineffable, something so great that words cannot really capture. Because what words, what human words could possibly capture the future glory that is before us? And so Isaiah, and this is really his strength, he puts it in a way, he puts the intangible, intangible ways, he puts the ineffable in ways that even children can understand to get a glimpse of the future glory that is coming. And so in verse 20, he says, No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old. Now, that is not suggesting that in the new heavens and new earth that there still will be death. Rather, this is making that, that intangible, ineffable, practical in, in the very ways that people have been suffering. You know, in those days, as it is in our days, death, death touches every stage of life. Whether you are young or old, death will get you. But in that day, in that new heavens and new earth, there will be no infant but, uh, who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days because the power of death will be gone over the whole life. And the both and the young and the old are safe. In fact, death touches only one kind of people. The sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. And what that means is that if somehow 
If possibly someone uh, successfully evades and hides from God for a century, judgment will find them. You know, it's interesting. In Psalm 94, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. That psalm is actually written in the context of the psalmist struggling with injustice and the evils of the world. And that's actually one of the things that breaks our hearts today. You see so much darkness, so much that is wrong around you, and your hearts just sink. And sometimes if you could, you want to just cry. And that's actually a very real source of suffering. But God is saying, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be perfect justice. Good will prevail. Holiness will prevail. No one will be able to evade or hide from God's judgment who deserves it. And likewise, Isaiah continues, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Uh, This is once again making very tangible and, and bringing down to earth this unimaginable glory because you see these people, they lived through the exile. And what happened in their exile? They built their houses, but they were not able to live in them. They planted vineyards, but others enjoyed the fruit. And this is what they experienced. But the Lord says they will never again experience such trauma, such sorrow or sadness. And the Lord says they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. You know, another way that we suffer in this world, and this is in part what we read about in Genesis 3, that God's curse upon man's sin is thorns and thistles. By the sweat of your brow you will eat. In other words, we live in a world where hard work does not always bear fruit. Rather, you may give your life and your heart to something only to see it disappear and disappoint you. You may build a house, but somebody else lives in it. You plant a vineyard, somebody else eats of it. And your hard work, what was the point of it all? But in the new heavens and earth, right order is restored. Sin's curse is taken away. And the glories of new heavens and earth completely undo and rectify every evil that we suffer in this life. But it is so important for you to know that it is not tit for tat. You suffer one measure, and God comforts you in one measure. That would be tit for tat. But rather the joys of new heavens and earth are so incomparably greater than anything we suffer in life. And I try to imagine what that might be like, and this is a picture that came to me. Heaven's glory washes over earthly sorrows the way a tsunami leaves no trace of a toddler's sandcastle on the beach. 
not tit for tat, a little suffering, a little comfort. Not that. But the glories of new heavens and the earth are so incomparably great that every trace, every remembrance, every shadow completely disappear. That's the new creation. And that brings us third and lastly to the possession. God, God will restore everything that we have lost in sin in their fullness. You remember that after the first creation, man, Adam, and Eve, and all their children, man was exiled from God's presence. But in the new creation, we are brought near God. And we will never be exiled from God's presence. We will never again think that God is distant. Again, that's one of the ways that we struggle and suffer in this world, isn't it? Life is puzzling. You are suffering. And then in those very important, critical moments, God feels so distant and far. But with the consolation that God gives us, we, we learn to think that God will never be distant. So the Lord says, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Can I put it this way? God knows us so intimately and lovingly that he can finish our sentences. That's what it sounds like to me. You know, that's something that only the most intimate of relationships on earth can share. You know, you live with your husband, with your wife. You know, before they finish their thoughts, you know what's coming. There's intimacy there. And the Lord says, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Why? Because nothing will ever stand in between God and us. And if troubles of life have ever made you feel that God is far from you, and if troubles of life have ever made you feel that God does not pay attention to you, this is the consolation that we need today. Because you see, the realities of future glory are actually ours today. Even today, even now, God hears you. Even now, he is with you because that is what Jesus has done for you. But we do not experience that in its fullness. Here and now, our hearts are often shaken. Often we are unsure. And so we look at what will happen in the new creation and see that all threats, all threats will be gone and all nature will be healed. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. Wow, can you think of such a thing? Natural enemies on earth, reconciled, living in peace together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. That just boggles the mind. But God will so renew everything that all danger and violence will disappear. 
the serpent will never again deceive, for dust shall be the serpent's food. You know, that's the judgment that God pronounced upon the serpent in Genesis 3. And that judgment stands. That judgment stands forever. So that the serpent can never again deceive, mislead, or harm. And the Lord says, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. We will be forever loved, forever happy, forever safe. So when will this be? Why can't we have this now? Uh, Now, we have to wait a little while longer. Because in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, we read, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You see, new heavens and earth, They come when Jesus comes back in glory. And that's why we want him to come back soon. That's why we yearn for his coming. And that's why we pray with Apostle Paul. You know, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In Greek, it's Maranatha. Our Lord, come. The Lord knows. He knows that you carry many burdens in life. And his heart is full of tenderness for you. And I know at times you just want to give up and say, what is the point? I have nothing left in me. Loved ones, don't give up. Because waiting is only for a season. Jesus will come. And he will make all things new. Amen. Now let's pray together. Oh God, we wait with eagerness and expectation. The coming of your son in glory. When he will receive the kingdom and the bride. That's so he, he so richly deserves. And we wait with eagerness and we anticipate the resetting of all things, making new of all things. When the former things will be forgotten, the memories of bitterness, pain, and suffering will disappear, and in their place will be everlasting joy. And so I pray, O oh Lord, please, Hold in your hands and hold in your heart all your suffering people today. Renew their hope. Renew their strength. May they persevere with your strength and at last enter into glory where there will be glory that never ends and joy inexpressible. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.